welcome to My Favorite Theorem. Uh, I'm Evelyn Lamb, one of your hosts, and this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, Professor of Mathematics at the University of Florida. How are you doing, Evelyn? I'm good. I actually forgot to say what I do in case, you know, anyone doesn't know. I'm a freelance math and science writer, and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, where it has been very cold recently, and I'm from Texas originally, so I am not okay with this. Everyone knows who you are, Evelyn. In fact, uh, Princeton University Press, <laughs> Princeton Press just sent me a complimentary copy of best uh, math writing of 2017, and you're in it, so congratulations. It's really very cool. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that clapping you heard from the peanut gallery is our guest today, Jaidevitrea. Uh, um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm based in Seattle, Washington, where it is, well, at least for the last 15 minutes, it has not been raining. Wow. Um, so it, I'm a professor, of math, an associate professor of mathematics at the University of Washington, and I'm the director of the Washington Experimental Mathematics Lab. My work is in geometry, dynamical systems, connections to number theory, and I'm passionate about getting as many people involved in mathematics as a creative enterprise as is possible. Very and cool. we actually met a while ago um, because my spouse also works in the same field. So I had the nice privilege of getting, getting to know you and not having to learn too much about dynamical systems. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, Evelyn and I have actually known each other since, I think Evelyn was in grad school at Rice. I think we met at some conferences and uh, Evelyn's partner and I have um, worked on several papers together. So I've, I've been a guest in their wonderful home and eaten tons of great granola for among other things. And one, one, on one incredibly memorable occasion, a buttermilk pie, which uh, yeah. I, I, won't, I won't forget for a long time. Nice. Yeah, I've visited your department several times. Uh, I, I love Seattle. I, I am, you guys have a great department there. Um, and it's it's a wonderful group of people. Yeah, and one really of the great is. things about uh, great things about it also is that you know, of course, all departments recognize research, and many departments also recognize teaching. But this department also has a great tradition of public engagement mm -hmm. with people like Jim Morrow, who's part of the annual class of AWM fellows. Uh, who's run one of the longstanding REUs and runs this amazing event called Math Day, uh, where he gets 2,000 high school kids from across the Seattle area on campus. We have so it's it's just it's it's a very cool thing for a research math department to seriously recognize and and, and appreciate these efforts. So that's, mm -hmm. I feel very lucky to be here. Yeah, and also um, yeah. because because I'm a topologist, I have to I have to take a moment here to to give you know well I don't know what the right word is, but uh, you guys lost a colleague recently in in, in Steve Mitchell. And uh, he was he was a great topologist, but even more, he was just a really great guy, uh, yeah. sort of unfailingly kind, and uh, was always really you know uh, friendly and helpful to me when when I was just starting out in the game. So, uh, you know, my condolences to you and your colleagues because because Steve really was great. He's going to be missed. Thank you, Kevin. No, he there was a really moving memorial service for Steve, and mm -hmm. for any of the readers who are interested in learning a little bit more about Steve, he for the last few years of his life he wrote a really wonderful blog reflecting on both mathematics and life and how the two go together. Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend it. It's 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 very thoughtful. Yeah, it's very funny, even yeah. as he was facing a series of challenges, right. and it sort of I think reflects Steve really well. Yeah, yeah, and his biography that he wrote was really interesting too. He's, yes. he's an interesting yes. guy. Yeah. Yes, an amazing, yeah, not, not a lot, I mean, came with a background that's very different to a lot mm -hmm. of mathematicians. Right, right. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, so enough of that. Let's talk about theorems. Would you like yeah. to share uh, your favorite theorem? 
Sure. So this is, um, you know, now that I'm in the in the Northwest, and I'm, in fact, I'm even wearing a flannel shirt today. I'm going to state you the theorem <laughs> from the perspective of a lumberjack. Um, okay. So you know, there's a when when trees are planted by a paper company, they're planted in a fairly regular grid. So imagine, you know, imagine you have the plane. Um, so sort of two number lines meeting at, at, at 90 degree angle. And you have a grid and you plant a tree at each grid point. So from a mathematician's perspective, we're just talking about the integer lattice. We're talking about points with integer coordinates. Now, if I stand, let's say where I'm standing, there's a center point where, you know, where there's maybe, maybe there's no tree and we call that the origin. That's maybe the only place where we don't plant a tree. And I stand there and I look out. Now, there's a lot of trees around me. Um, let's say, each, you know, so, so I, I look around and let's say my vision goes to, I, I can see sort of maybe distance R in every direction. And I look around and I say, hmm, I wonder how many trees there are. And of course, you can do kind of a rough estimate. And now I'm going to switch analogies and I'm going to be working in, in kind of uh, flooring. Uh, I'm going to be tiling a floor. So if you think about the sort of the space between the trees as a tile and you call it, say that has area one, you look out distance R, well, there are, the, the area of the circle, the area of the, the region that you can see is, is about pi R squared. It's the area of the circle. And each of these tiles has size one. So maybe you might guess that there are roughly pi R squared trees. Okay, that's what's called the Gauss circle problem or the lattice point counting problem. And the fact that that is actually increasingly accurate as your range of vision gets bigger and bigger, as R gets bigger and bigger, is a, a beautiful theorem with actually kind of an elementary proof, which we can talk about later. But what I want to talk about is when you're looking out and you're standing and you're sort of turning around in this spot, you can't see every tree. Right. right. For instance, if you look at, there's, there's a tree just to the right of you. You can see that tree, but there's a there's a tree to the right of that tree, which you can't because it's blocked by the first tree that you see. There's a tree at 45 degrees, which would have the coordinate 1, 1, and that blocks all the other trees with coordinates 2, 2 or 3, 3. It blocks all the other trees on that line. We call the trees that we can see, the visible trees, we call those primitive lattice points. And it's a really nice exercise to see that if, if you label it by, okay, how many steps to the right and how many steps sort of forward of you it is, call that court, the integer coordinate MN, or maybe since we're on the radio and we can't write, I'll call it MK, so the sounds don't get too confusing. Okay. A point MK is visible if the greatest common divisor of the integers M and K is one. Um, and that's, not, that's an elementary exercise because, well, uh, maybe we'll just talk a little bit about it, if, if you had M and K and they didn't have greatest common divisor one, you could divide them by their greatest common divisor and you would get a tree that blocks M K from yes. where you're sitting. Right. right. So we call these prim lat these lattice points, they're, they're called visible points or sometimes they're called primitive points. And a much trickier question is how many primitive points are there mm. in the ball of radius R or in any kind of increasingly large sequence of sets? And this was actually computed, I believe, for the first time by Euler. Probably. Um, sure, why not? Uh, yeah, Euler. I think Cauchy also noticed this. So, I mean, these are all these are names that, you know, any, anything you get at the beginning of analysis or number theory, these names are going to show up. Right. Yeah. 
And miraculously enough, okay, so we, we sort of agreed vaguely that in the ball of radius r, the total number of trees was roughly the area of the ball, it was pi r squared. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the proportion of these which are primitive, it's actually six over pi squared. Oh. So the total number of primitive lattice points is six over pi squared times pi r squared. And now, mm -hmm. listeners of this podcast probably, you know, know some, you know, they, they might know, remember some of their sequences and series from mm -hmm. calc one or two or three. And you might remember seeing, probably not proving, but seeing that if you add up the following series, one plus a quarter plus a ninth plus a sixteenth plus one over 25 and so on. And you can actually do this. You can write a little Python script to do this. You'll get closer and closer to pi squared over six. And now what's amazing, now there is of course this principle that there are not enough small numbers in mathematics, which is why you have all these coincidences. But this isn't a coincidence. That pi squared over six and our six over pi squared are in a very real mathematical sense, the same object. So that's my favorite mathematical theorem. So mm -hmm. you get pi showing up, when you count all lattice points, you get pi showing up in the numerator. Mm -hmm. When you count primitive ones, you get pi showing up in the denominator. Right, and so the primitive ones, thats um, that must be related to the fact that if you pick two random integers, the probability that they're relatively prime is this number, six over pi squared, right? You can you can almost take that. These are essentially equivalent statements, exactly. Yeah, right, right. Because what we're saying is we're saying look in the ball of radius r. Take two integers, sort of randomly, in mm -hmm. between, so that m squared plus n squared is less than or equal to r squared. What's the the proportion of primitive ones is exactly the probability that they're relatively prime. That's exactly right. a beautiful reformulation. Yeah, and as yeah, as 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 you go off to infinity, that's six over pi squared. Right. Yeah, and what's fun is. If, if, if a listener does like to do a little Python programming, in this case, infinity doesn't even have to be so big. Mm. Uh, you, can, you can see 6 over pi squared happening relatively quickly. Uh, even at r equals 100, you're not very far off. Yeah, um, well, the, the squares get smaller so fast that, you know, you're just adding up something quite small. That's <laughs> right. Know? So that's, that's, that, that's my favorite mathematical theorem. Um, for many reasons, one, because this number six over pi squared, it shows up in so many places. And, you know, what I do is at the intersection of many fields of mathematics. I'm interested in how objects change. I'm interested in counting things and I'm interested in the geometry of things. And all of these things come into play when you're thinking about this theorem and thinking about various incarnations of this theorem. Yeah, I was a little surprised when you uh, told us this was going to be your theorem because I was, I was thinking it was going to be some kind of, you know, ergodic theorem for flows for something because, you know, the, the stuff that I know about your field is more what my spouse does, which is more related to the dynamical systems. I actually think of myself as a dynamic, dynamicist in law. Right, like I, <laughs> right. That's, I think that's, that's yeah, yeah the, the family of dynamicists definitely views you as, as a favorite in law, Evelyn. Um, <laughs> you, you, you publicize us very nicely. You write about things like billiards with a slit, which, you know, was, was, was something that we've been telling the world about, but until you did, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that, and that was a birthday gift for my spouse. <laughs> he had been wanting me to write about that, and I was just like, oh, that's so technical. I don't feel like it. And so finally, I mean, it's a really cool space. It's just a lot to actually yes. um, 
to go in and write about that. But yeah, I was surprised to see this, you know, something I think of as more number theory related show up here. You know, that number six over pi squared or pi squared over six, whichever way you see it is, yeah, one of those things that you see it the first time and you're like, why would you ever square pi? Like, right. <laughs> you know, it, it comes as an area thing. So something else is getting squared usually when you see it. But yep. um, yeah, so, it's a strange so, thing. So now what I'm gonna say is, is maybe a little bit more about why I picked it is that, so for me, pi squared over six is actually the volume of a moduli space of abelian differentials. Ah. So, <laughs> um, of course. Of yeah. course it is. It's, or it's uh, what's called a Ziegel-Veach constant or a Ziegel constant. Mm. Um, let me say a little bit of word. Uh, can I say a, uh, just a couple words about why I love pi squared over six so much? Sure. Of course. Yeah. So let's say instead of planting your trees uh, in a square grid, you're, you know, you had a timber company, which I don't know, maybe they wanted to shoot an ad where they shot, shot over the forest and they wanted it to look cool. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing a square grid, they decided to do a grid with parallelograms. Mm. So still, the trees are planted in a regular grid, but you have a parallelogram. Mm -hmm. And now you, so, so instead of, in mathematical terms, instead of taking the lattice generated by one, zero, and zero, one, you just take two vectors in the plane. As long as they're linearly independent, you can generate a lattice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now you can still talk about primitive vectors as the ones that you can see from zero, right? There's mm -hmm. some that are gonna be blocked and some that can't, mm -hmm. uh, aren't gonna be blocked. And in fact, it's, it's a nice formulation. If you think of your vectors, call them AC and BD, then what you're essentially doing is you're taking the matrix A, B, C, D, mm -hmm and applying it to the integer grid, you're transforming your squares into parallelograms. Right. Mm -hmm. And a vector in your new lattice is primitive it's, if it's the image of a primitive vector from the integer lattice. Yeah, so there's this linear relationship. Mm -hmm. You can easily take what you know about the regular integer lattice and send it over to whatever mm -hmm. cool commercial tree lattice you have. Right. That's right, that's right. Whatever parallelogram tiling of the plane you want. Now what's interesting is even so with even with this change, the proportion of primitive guys is still six over pi squared, the limiting proportion. Mm -hmm. That's maybe not so surprising given what I just said. But mm -hmm. here's something maybe a, a, that is a little more surprising. Let's say we want to restrict. Since we care about proportions of primitive guys, we really don't care if we were to inflate our parallelograms or deflate them. You know, if they were area 17 or area one, this proportion isn't gonna change. Right. So let's just look at area one guys, just to nail, you know, one class down. This is a notion of an equivalence class, essentially. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, if you take, you can look at all possible area one lattices. So you package, this is something mathematicians love to do. You have an object, you realize that it comes as part of a family of objects. So we started with the square grid we realized it sits inside this family of parallelogram grids. And then we want to package all of these grids together into their own object. And we call this, this procedure is usually called building a moduli space, or mm -hmm. sometimes a parameter space mm -hmm. of objects. Here, the moduli space is really simple. It's, you have your matrices. And if you want it to be area one, the, the determinant of the matrix has mm -hmm. to be one. Mathematical terms, we call this the group SL2R special linear group uh, with real coefficients. Uh, there's a joke somewhere that, you know, 
uh, Serge Lang was dedicating a book to his friend R, and so inscribed it SL to R. But <laughs> that's a truly terrible joke, but I'm sorry. Yeah. You, should feel, you should definitely delete from your podcast. <laughs> no, 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 that's staying in. Great. Yeah, you're on the record with it. Yeah, that's right. Great. Um, But so that's that's sort of you know all possible deformations. But then you realize that if you were to hit the integer lattice with an integer matrix, you'd just get it back. Mm -hmm. So basically, the space of all lattices you can think of as Mm -hmm. two by two matrices with real entries and determinant one, up to equivalence by two by two matrices with integer entries. What this allows you to do is this allows you to give a notion of a random lattice. Mm -hmm. There is a probability measure you can put on this space. You can talk about what it means to pick one of these lattices at random. Mm -hmm. Basically, what this means is you pick your first vector at random, and then you pick your second vector at random as uniformly as possible from the ones that make determinant one with it. Mm -hmm. That's actually accurate. That's Mm -hmm. that's actually a technically accurate statement. And now what that means is you can talk about the average behavior Mm -hmm. of a lattice. You can say, look, I have all of these lattices I can average. And now what's amazing is fix your R. R could be one, R could be a hundred, R could be a million. And now average the number, look at the number of primitive points divided by the number of total points in the lattice. And you average that, that. Mm-hmm. Or actually, let me put it a slightly different way. You average the number of primitive points and divide by the average number of total points. That's six over pi squared. So is that? Yeah. That's not an asymptotic. Oh, that's it's not. On, that's if you average, if you integrate oh, over you the space average. of lattices, okay. Okay. you integrate, and you get you look at the number of, of primitive points. You divide by the average mm-hmm. number of total points. Okay. That's all. That's six over pi squared. No matter what the shape of the region is in uh, that, that you're looking at, it doesn't have to be a ball. It can be okay. anything. That's an honest to god, dead on statement. That's not asymptotic. Yeah, so that is that basically saying that like the integer lattice behaves like the average lattice? In, it's it's saying at the very large scale, every lattice kind of behaves like the average lattice. That there's a basically that there's this function on the space of lattices mm-hmm. that's becoming closer and closer to constant. There's if you take the sequence of functions, which is proportion of primitive vectors, that's becoming closer and closer to constant. Um, at each scale, when you average it. It, everything it averages out nicely, and then but there might be some fluctuations at any given scale. And what it's saying is, if you look at larger and larger scales, these fluctuations are getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you can kind of make this precise by computing. So this is if you're if you're in probability, what we've just talked about is basically computing a mean or an expectation. Mm-hmm. You can try and compute a variance of the number of primitive points in a ball. Um, and that's actually something my student Sam Fairchild and I are working on right now. You'd think that this variance, there are methods that people have thought about. And there's, in fact, a paper by a great, there's a mathematician named Rogers in the 1950s who wrote about 15 different papers called Mean Values on the Space of Lattices, all of which contain a phenomenal number of really interesting ideas. But he got the, any, he got the dimension 2K slightly wrong. And so we're in the process of kind of fixing that. Mm-hmm. right now um, and understanding ex- how to compute the variance. It turns out that what we do is actually goes back to work of Wolfgang Schmidt um, and we're kind of uh, assembling that in a little bit more modern language and sort of pushing it a little bit further. I do want to mention one more name, which is 
I, I mentioned it very briefly already. I said this is what's called a Ziegel-Veach constant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Ziegel was the one who computed many of these averages. He was a German uh, mathematician who was famous for his work in what's called, this field is called the geometry of numbers. Mm -hmm. So it's about the geometry of grids. Inspired by Ziegel, um, a mathematician, William Veach, who was one of Evelyn's teachers at, at Rice, mm -hmm. uh, started thinking about how to generalize this problem to uh, what are called higher genus surfaces, how to average certain things over slightly more complicated spaces of geometric objects. Uh, and I particularly wanted to mention Bill Veach because he passed away um, yeah, somewhat unexpectedly. A year ago or so? Yeah, a little bit less than a year ago. And um, it's, you know, he was somebody who was a, a big inspiration to a lot of people in this field. Uh, really had just enormous number of in brilliant ideas. Uh, and I think we're still kind of exploring many of those ideas. Yeah, and a, a very uh, humble um person too, at least in the uh, interactions yes. that I had yes. with it and very approachable considering what enormous uh, work he did. That's right. He was a, a deeply, um, a modest, as, as you say, and also incredibly approachable person who also, you know, I remember the first time I went to Rice, I was a graduate student and he had read things I had written. And this was to me, you know, it was a huge deal for me to know that, you know, I, I didn't think anybody was reading anything <laughs> I had written. And, and not to make this, I guess we started off with remembering Steve and we're mm -hmm. remembering Bill. Uh, there's one more person who I think it's very important to remember in this context. So somebody who took Ziegel's ideas about averaging things over spaces and really pushed them to an extent that's just incredible. Um, and the number actually six over pi squared shows up in the introduction to one of the papers that came out of her thesis was Maria Mirzakhani, mm. um, yeah. who also we lost at a at a very, very uh, young and age. And she was a, a person who, again, like Veach, was, was you know, a, a person of incredibly deep contributions who I think we're gonna continue to mine for ideas. And, yeah. and she's gonna continue to have a, a really incredible legacy who was also very encouraging to both, you know, sort of colleagues, contemporaries and young people. Um, and if, if you're interested in six over pi squared and how it connects to not just um, lattices in the plane, but other surfaces, the introduction to her, so her paper, her thesis had three paper, resulted in three papers, one in Inventiones, one in the Annals, and one in the Journal of the American Math Society, which might That's be our effective. three top journals in the field. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for the record, I, you know, for instance, I, you know, I think of myself as a pretty good research mathematician. I have a total over 12 years of zero in any of those three right. journals. Yeah, right there with you. Um, yeah, and 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 um, and, and this, the introduction of this paper, she studies what are called closed curves on the punctured torus, simple closed curves on the punctured torus, which are very closely linked to uh, integer lattice points. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she shows how six over pi squared also shows up as something called a Vey-Peterson volume, mm -hmm. uh, or rather pi squared over six shows up as a, what's called a Vey-Peterson volume of a moduli space. Mm -hmm. Again, a way of packaging um, uh, lots of spaces together. Yeah, and so we'll link to um, to that. I'm sure we can find uh, links for that for the show notes, so people can read a little more about that if they want. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that that's um, and I think maybe even you know there's some very nice survey papers that have come out uh, recently, which sort of describe some of the the links there. 
Um, but yeah, these those are these are sort of the big things I wanted to hit on with this theorem, which is what I love about it is that it's a thread that shows up in number theory, as you pointed out. It's a thread that shows up in geometry. Uh, it's a thread that shows up in dynamical systems. You can use dynamics to actually do this counting problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's a way of using dynamics on this object where we package everything together to get the 6 over pi squared. It's not the most efficient, most direct proof, but it is a proof that generalizes in really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, a theorem in mathematics is really beautiful if you can see it from many, many different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And this one to me starts so many stories. So it starts a story where if you think of a lattice, you can think about going to higher dimensional lattices, mm -hmm. or you can think of it as a surface where you take the, 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 the parallelogram or the square and you glue opposite sides and you get a torus. And then you can start doing more holes, that's higher genus. And all of these, it's rare that all of these different generalizations yield really fruitful and beautiful mathematics. But in this case, um, in this case, I think it does. Yeah. So, hey, another part of this podcast is that we ask our uh, guests to pair their theorem with something. So, so what, what have you chosen to pair your theorem with? So there's a, there's a grape uh, called, which I'm, I'm just going to look up to make sure I'm getting the, the, everything right about it. So it's called Primitivo. Mm. <laughs> so it's an Italian grape. It's um, closely related to Zinfandel which I kind of like also because I want primitive. And then of course I want the integers in there. So I've got a Z. Yep. Nice. So yeah. um, and primitivos are also a, an excellent value wine. Uh, so that, that makes me very happy. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, so it's an Italian wine. It's originally descend, it, both primitivo and Zinfandel apparently are descended from a Croatian grape. Um, and so what I like about it is it's something connected uh, again it, it connects in a lot of different ways to lots of different things and now now this is from uh i don't know how trustworthy the site is it's a site called winegeeks.com so apparently primitivo can trace its ancestry from the ancient phoenicians okay. who settled oh. <laughs> in the province of apulia or puglia uh the, the heel of italy's boot mm -hmm. um I, I i'm a big fan of the phoenicians because you know there are these you know, cosmopolitan uh, seafarers who founded one of my favorite cities in the world, Marseille, where pr actually Marseille might be the place where I first learned about this theorem. So there you go. There's a wow. connection. Oh, yeah, another connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it's apparently the wine that was served at the Last Supper. Okay. I'm sure um, that's very reliable. I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Good information yeah. about the vintages of those. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So... So, so I, I, I would pair it with a Primitivo wine um, just, you know, because of, uh, of this connection. So these, these visible points are also called primitive points often mm -hmm. by mathematicians. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, we, uh, I'm going to pair it with a, with a Primitivo wine. Another possible option, if you can't get your hands on that, is to pair it with a, a spontaneously fermented or primitive beer. Ah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah which, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of spontaneously fermented beers. I like lambics. I like other things. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, excellent. So two choices, you know, if you're more of a wine person or more of a beer person, you've got, like, your pairing uh, picked out. I'm glad you're so considerate to make sure we've got options there. <laughs> uh, 
Or, or I might drink too much. That's the other possibility. <laughs> no, not possible. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's 9.30 where you are, so I'm hoping you're not about to go out and have one of these to start your day. Maybe at the end of the day you can... That's right. No, I think I'll, I'll, go, with, uh, I think I'll, I'll go with my usual cappuccino uh, to start my day. Right. Yeah. So. Well, hey, this has been great fun. I learned a lot today. This, this has been yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, thanks well, for being on. And I know um, you had mentioned uh, you wanted to make sure that our listeners know about um, the website for the Washington Math Lab, um, which is that's where right. that's what you do, uh, some outreach and then some uh, student training in that lab. Um, that's right. So, yeah. so, so the website, it's, it's wxml.math.washington.edu. It's the Washington Experimental Math Lab. The WX, WXML is also a Christian radio station in Ohio. We are not affiliated with the Christian radio station in Ohio. Okay. If, if anybody who listens to that, please don't sue us. Um, <laughs> but what we do is, like I said at the, at the top of the podcast, uh, we're very interested in trying to create as large a community of people who are creating their own mathematics. Um, and so to that end, we have student research projects where undergraduate students work together with faculty and graduate students and collaborative teams to do exploratory and experimental mathematics. Teams have, uh, have done projects ranging from creating sound sequences associated or sounds associated number theoretic sequences to updating and maintaining OEIS and Wikipedia pages about mathematical concepts to uh, doing uh, research modeling stock prices, modeling rare events um, in protein folding to actually right now one of my teams is working on counting pairs and triples and quadruples of primitive integer vectors and trying to understand how those behave. Mm -hmm. So it's that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is we do a lot of, like uh, Evelyn said, public engagement where we run teacher circles for mm -hmm. middle school and elementary schools throughout the Seattle area uh, and the Northwest. And we also do a lot of fabrication with 3D printing teaching tools. Right now I'm teaching Calculus 3. So we're printing um, Riemann sums, 3D Riemann sums, as we do mm. uh, integration of two, of two variables. And the reason I'm spending so long plugging this is if you're at a university and this sounds intriguing to you, we have a lab starter kit on our oh, web page, cool. which gives you information on how you might want to start a lab. All labs, of course, look different. But at this point, we just had our Geometry Labs United conference this summer. There are labs at Maryland, at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, at the University of Illinois in Chicago, at George Mason University, at um, University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, mm. uh, Kansas State. There's one starting at Oklahoma State, at the University of Kentucky. So this, 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 um, the, the lab movement is on the march. And if you're interested in joining that, uh, please go to our website, check out our lab starter kit, and feel free to contact us about what are some good ways to get started on, on this track. All right. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I'm a big fan of the podcast. I loved the episode with Ekaranaka. I thought that was just amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah we like that one too. <laughs> Take care, guys. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on
Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at My Favorite Theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.